Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. And I see my Savior's face I will offer him ten thousand years of praise Then I'll find that special one In whose life I saw God's Son And through tears of joy with trembling lips these words I'll say I saw Jesus in you I saw Jesus in you I could hear his voice in the words you said I saw Jesus in you In your eyes I saw his I could see his love was there You were faithful And I saw Jesus in you When I stand before my Father To receive my life's reward And my soul is bathed in God's eternal day. When this race on earth is run, And God sees the works I've done, More than anything I long to hear my Father say, I saw Jesus in you, I saw Jesus in you, I could hear his voice in the words you said, I saw Jesus in you, in your eyes I saw his care, I could see his love was there, And he can argue with the opposite guys who are equally smart that we can't understand them either. And so I was very pleased that we have, you know, very intelligent people on our side who can uh, defend against those who would try to intimidate us with uh, uh, Darwinism uh, and evolution or the Big Bang Theory. 
And so I found it very helpful that even though I didn't understand everything Dr. Matsko said, I knew that he understood it and he could stand toe-to-toe against uh, the people who would want us to question um, what's taken as the gospel these days, you know, uh, evolution and Big Bang Theory. Uh, it's interesting, I'm going to mention this to you, and I would even encourage you to go online and look this guy up. His name is David Berlinski. And I told you, I've been doing a lot of studying here lately in the area of philosophy, in the area of economics, in the area of history, and to a degree in the area of science, because I, I'm concerned with what's going on in society, and I watch these news programs and whatever, and there's so much untruth being uh, promoted out there, and unless we educate ourselves, we can't fight back. So I've been educating myself, and I ran across a very interesting fellow, and you might think this is a bit, bit odd coming from a pastor, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. In fact, I was so intrigued by this gentleman that I had my wife watch this with me. It's on YouTube. You can look the guy up. His name is David Berlinski. Now, what's odd is I'm asking you to look at a guy who is an avowed agnostic. An agnostic doesn't know whether there is a God or uh, isn't a God, whereas an atheist will claim there is no God. Well, a lot of well-known scientists today are out-and-out atheists. In fact, they believe that belief in God is foolish, it's just a superstition, and they are aggressively trying to discredit uh, belief in God, belief in the Bible. Well, where does this David Berlinski come in? Well, David Berlinski is an agnostic. He is, by the world standards, an intellectual. His PhD is in mathematics and in philosophy, and he's graduated from quote, the leading universities here in, in the United States, and he's taught at the leading universities. But what is interesting about him is, and he, like Dr. Matsko, can academically and technically make the case, it was so interesting to hear him say, all these scientists, these atheist scientists, that, that, that say we have proven that there is no God, and people want to think, you know, when, you know, well, they're scientists and they have evidence and they do experiments and, and they can prove stuff. What I liked about this guy is he said, that's nonsense. Now, he, he's not necessarily a believer, but he does not one second give any credibility to Darwinism, evolution, or the Big Bang Theory. He said, these guys, he said there's no way these scientists can prove that there is no God. And, and he gives, you know, examples and explanation and and i'm praying for this guy now because he's got a likable personality he's a bit of an eccentric what have you but you can tell he's very smart he's just dismissive of all those guys the christopher hitchings and all these other well-known scientific atheists that are trying to discredit god and the bible he is he is intellectually just dismissive of these guys in other words he would support what dr masco was saying there is no evidence of, of Darwinian evolution. And there is no evidence of the Big Bang Theory. In fact, he says they can't happen. So we often get intimidated and we kind of just, you know, want to tuck our tail between our legs. So you go look this guy up and listen to him. He will, even as, this is weird, I get it, but even as an agnostic, he will I- increase your, 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 your belief in, in a creator God. And he did say this. And I'll hand it to him for an agnostic. In fact, I wrote it down in my notes. He, he, he said, I tell my students. He said, he said, he was asked a question, what, what do you do with students that come into your class and they don't believe the Bible? He said, I ask them. 
have they read it? And I believe this guy's going to get saved. I really believe this guy's going to get saved. He said, I asked him, he said, I tell him, I said, have you read it? And they'll say, no. He said, well, how do you know whether you believe it or not? He says, go read the Bible. And then he said this. He said, this is coming from an agnostic professor with PhDs in chemistry, not chemistry, in philosophy and in uh, mathematics. He said, he said, I tell them to go read it. He said, because the Bible is the greatest repository of knowledge and wisdom in the history of civilization. That's coming from an agnostic. We got some believers that don't go that far. So I, you know, I, I'm saying amen to an agnostic, you know, as he said. But again, what did he say? He said, he said, the Bible is the greatest repository of knowledge and wisdom in the history of civilization. Well, he may be an agnostic, but he's dead on right. He's dead on right about that. So anyway, if you're interested, I found it very interesting and very encouraging. You ever done anything dumb? No, listen, <laughs> what a congregate. None of you ever? <laughs> oh, you know, Sharon and I, two weeks ago, we were uh, attending a, a conference at Pensacola Christian College. I don't know if you caught it last week, but when Dr. Matsko was here, I don't think I ever said Pensacola Christian College. Why? Because he's representing Bob Jones University. <laughs> <laughs> and they are big competitors in every way you can imagine, including in, here lately in sports. So I just said I was at a conference uh, down at Pensacola, so I intentionally did not say Pensacola Christian College with, uh, in respect to Dr. Matsko, who is here to promote Bob Jones University. It's a good, healthy uh, competition there. But anyway, we were there. And one evening after our last session, it's about 8 or 9 o'clock at night, uh, Sharon and I are going back to the, the, the hospitality house. Pensacola Christian College is a fabulous campus. Just the facilities there. Unbelievable. If you're ever in the area, you need to go. There is not a secular college in the country that I think can match them and everything that they have, and how beautiful it is, and how well done it is. They also have their own motel. It's called the Hospitality House. It's right there, you know, right next door to the campus. You walk across the street from the campus, so you're at the Hospitality House. It's owned and operated by Pensacola Christian College. So after one evening session, we go back in, and I need to talk to the guy at the desk. Okay, now Pensacola Christian College is like us. It's a conservative college, conservative. Why? Because they believe the Bible. They believe it quite literally like we do. And if you believe it and you live it, you're going to be more conservative, certainly, than, you know, the secular culture around us, which means they also are very conservative in their music. And wherever you might go in any of their buildings, if they have music playing, it's going to be very soft, but very conservative Christian music. No contemporary Christian music, just soft Christian music. Well, we... we, come back to the motel, and we have to go through the lobby, but Sharon and I stopped because I needed, I don't know, I needed to talk to the guy behind the desk, okay? And I'm sitting there, and I'm hearing music playing, and I'm thinking, that's strange, because what am I hearing? I'm hearing, the younger generation wouldn't know, you, every one of you in the older generation will know, what do I hear playing in the lobby of this very conservative Christian college? Blue Moon. I hear it, and I'm thinking, they're playing that in the lobby. Now, everybody's singing it in their mind right now, aren't you? I just put that thought in your mind. Everybody's singing it. Um, So I'm hearing it, and I'm thinking, well, this is odd. Boy, they've changed around here. 
Everybody's going liberal. They've gone liberal. That's amazing. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm, the whole time I'm there, it's playing. It's playing. And I'm, I'm kind of looking around. There's some other people around. And I'm thinking, okay, man. Or, or maybe it's the young guy I'm dealing with. Maybe he's in trouble. Maybe he's playing it over the intercom, you know, or whatever there in the foyer. But I said, this is, I've never heard. I attended there. I said, this is not like them. So we walk out and we're walking down the hall to our room. And I turned to her. I said, did you hear that in the foyer? She said, yeah, what's that all about? I said, man, they've really changed. I said, I would have never thought Blue Moon in the lobby of Pensacola Christian College. And Sharon said, well, you know, maybe, maybe somebody was playing it on their phone. I wonder what they thought when I walked out. That preacher, you know. Sharon got it. You, you know how tickled Sharon can get. She had to lean up against the, wall, uh, the hallway wall laughing so hard at me. Anyway, you don't, want to do, you don't want to be dumb like I'm dumb. And you sure don't want to be dumb when it comes to prayer. What Jesus taught about prayer. Let's look at that this morning. Um, it's important that we learn important life lessons. Some life lessons we have to learn the hard way, but you need to learn them. There's some lessons that you just need to learn in life. For example, and I've got a list here. One of the lessons that we learn in life is walk your own path. Don't try to be somebody you're not. Uh, Don't hesitate when you should act. I should have acted. I should have taken advantage of the situation. I could kick myself. Sometimes that's a hard lesson we learn. We learn failure isn't fatal. Sometimes we'll fail and we'll think, that's it, there's no future. And we realize, no, failure isn't necessarily fatal. We learn and we try to teach our kids that good things don't come easy. You learn the lesson that, you know, you got to work for things. You might hope that they come easy, but that's just not life. Um, Never fail to try more. That's very important. You know, you you, you wish, man, I wish I had given it a better effort. Take care of your health early. That's a lesson that some people had wished they had learned, but they, they didn't. And to make every moment count. These, these are all lessons that we need to learn in life if we are going to be the kind of person that we ought to be. E.M. Bound said this, and I quote, The most important lesson we can learn is how to pray. E.M. Bounds, he lived during the Civil War. He fought for the Confederacy. He was captured. He was a Union prisoner, but he, was a, he got out. He was a pastor, and he wrote several volumes on prayer that are probably the best-known books on prayer that there are, and I would say they are the best books on prayer. One of the reasons is they're so simple. It's not some theological mumble-jumble that you can't understand. He's just very practical about prayer. And I have a lot of quotes in here from E.M. Bounds. I had it on the first message, and I'll have it on the next message as well. E.M. Bounds, it's obvious, the way he wrote, he, he understood prayer, and he valued prayer. And he wanted others to know prayer, and he wanted others to value prayer. And he said, the most important lesson we can learn is how to pray. Well, there's a lot of important lessons that we can learn in life, but what makes prayer so special? Why is it that all of us should learn the lesson of the importance of prayer so that we're faithful in prayer daily and we're we're sincere and we understand the value of it? 
Well, let me give you three reasons that he states, okay? Number one, he stated that prayer makes us more like Jesus. And I quote, Walking with God down the avenues of prayer, we acquire something of his likeness, and unconsciously we become witnesses to others of his beauty and his grace. One of the reasons he emphasizes prayer and the fact that we learn the lesson of prayer is because prayer does make us more like Jesus. Because as we're going to see, Jesus prayed. And Jesus prayed a lot. And if we're supposed to be like Jesus, then we're going to have to pray like that. But he says, number two, why, why should we learn the lesson of prayer? Prayer gets God involved in our lives. Prayer gets God involved in our lives. We've we got a lot of bad influences going on in our lives. We need something good. Prayer is the, high, is the greatest of all forces because it honors God and brings him into active aid. Prayer honors God and it brings him into active aid. And for that reason, we should learn the lesson of how to pray. And then number three, he gives this argument, Bounds does, Prayer promotes the work of God. He says, again, quoting, Prayer is the mightiest agent to advance God's work. Well, according to Bounds, if we want God's work to advance in your life, in your family, in our church, then prayer is going to be a key component. Now, these wouldn't be all the reasons that we should learn the lesson of prayer, but these in and of themselves would be enough reasons for us to understand the value of of prayer. So we're looking this morning at what did Jesus teach about prayer? You know, there are questions that people ask about prayer that maybe there's some difficult answers. I mean, is it to be assumed that the more people you get to pray, that the more likely a prayer is to be answered? And if you don't get enough people to pray that that prayer won't be answered? I don't know the answer to that. Could it be you get to heaven and God said, you were two people short? You had 75 people praying, and you needed two more, and that would have done it for you. So I don't don't know the answer. I know it's good to get people to pray. I know it's better for more people to pray, but does that mean if you don't hit the quota that you're not going to get it? I don't know. But what I I do know, and what I want to emphasize in this series is what what I do know. And we're going to look at what Jesus taught about prayer, because we know that Jesus really emphasized the importance of prayer. I mean, when Jesus walked that short time on this earth, he emphasized the importance of prayer. So what's important to Jesus, if he is our God, if he is our Lord, if he is our Savior, if he is our all in all, if he is our model, then we're going to value prayer. We know this, Jesus encouraged prayer. Luke 18, 1, and he spake a parable unto them to this end. Now, this is Jesus. If you have a red letter Bible, this would be red letter, his words. And he spoke a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Jesus said you ought always to pray. If if you or I, if we're not always praying, we're out of God's will. That can't be a good thing. Jesus not only encouraged prayer, but Jesus modeled prayer. He did it. In Matthew 26, 36, Then cometh Jesus with them into a place called Gethsemane, This is shortly before his crucifixion. And he saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. Jesus, in his ministry here, for our benefit and for our blessing, encouraged prayer and he modeled prayer. 
And we know that Jesus also taught on prayer. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. What's he doing there? Again, that's a direct quote of Jesus. He is teaching on prayer. And this is just a sample. This is just a brief sample. There, there's so much more we could say about him encouraging prayer, teaching on prayer, and modeling prayer. So prayer is a big deal. It's a big deal in the Bible. It's a big deal in the life of Jesus. It should be, and it ought to be, a big deal in our lives. But yet, so many of us struggle. So to, enhan- to enhance our prayer lives, Jesus taught and emphasized three important aspects of prayer. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And I'm hoping by focusing on this this morning, we may be convicted that our praying is not what it ought to be. But more importantly than that, we'll be encouraged to fix it and have the prayer life that God wants us to have and the blessings that come with that. So what, what did Jesus, how does he enhance our prayer lives? We're going to look at what he said you should pray for, how you should pray, and when you should pray. These are all direct quotations from Jesus in the Bible. So, Jesus taught what you should pray for. So you're sitting here this morning, you don't have much of a prayer life, you've never prayed. Well, what should we pray for? And by the way, this is not all-encompassing. There's limited. There's other things you should pray for. I'm just pointing to several here. But first, before we look at that, another quote to encourage us, to inspire us from E.M. Bounds. Bounds said, This divine teacher of prayer lays himself out to make it clear and strong that God answers prayer. Assuredly, certainly, inevitably. That is that it is the duty of the child to ask and to press, and that the father is obliged to answer and to give for the asking. So, what did Jesus teach that we should pray for? That should be important to you. We don't want to pray for the wrong thing. We don't want to pray in vain. So what did he say we should pray for? Well, let's just look several things. Jesus taught that we should pray for more soul winners. He taught that we should pray for more soul winners. And if you and I aren't praying for more soul winners, are we not in disobedience to God's word? He says in Matthew 9, 38, Pray ye, pray ye, this is Jesus, pray ye, therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. It's considered a harvest when Christians go out and they witness to other Christians, and those Christians get saved. We're not harvesting wheat. We're not harvesting corn. We're harvesting people. He says, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that there will be more laborers. That's something that we ought to pray for, that we ought to pray for regularly. And if we're not praying for that, then we're out of God's will. Number two, Jesus taught that we should pray for protection from sin, that we should pray for protection from sin. He said in Matthew 26, verse number 41, Watch and pray, we're quoting Jesus, that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Because we might be tempted to sin, the Bible says that we not only need to watch, be aware of, but we need to pray. And again, if you want to get victory over sin, if you want to get victory over temptation, one of the keys to that is a fervent robust 
prayer life and praying specifically to God that he will guard you against that sin. We're looking at what you should pray for. There are certain things that the Lord tells us specifically. Now, what we should pray for is not limited to these three things, but these three things are examples of what God does tell us to pray for. Number three being, Jesus taught that you should pray for your enemies. Yes, pray for your enemies. Luke 6, 28, he said this, and I quote, Bless them that curse you, and pray for them that despitefully use you. Too many people cuss their enemies. The Lord has a different way of going about things, and that is that we pray for our enemies. So Jesus teaches us very clearly that there are certain things that we should pray for. We should pray for soul winners. We should pray for protection from sin. We should pray for our enemies. And again, it's not limited to that, but that's a sample that I hope will encourage us because, you know, look, the devil fights me and my flesh is weak in the area of prayer as much as anybody in this room. Don't think for one second that I have the prayer life that I ought to have. I need to have a better prayer life. And it helps me to know that there are certain things that the Lord wants me to pray specifically for. Okay, then understanding that, it raises the question that Jesus answered, how should you pray? Different people have different ideas. I've seen people with beads. I've seen people just reciting the same thing over and over again. I see people that like to get up in public and they, 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 they like to just kind of show off in their prayers. I've seen that. Well, is that okay? How should you pray? Well, again, just a quick quote from Bounds. The teaching of Jesus Christ on the nature and the necessity of prayer as recorded in his life is remarkable. He sends men to their closets or to private places. Prayer must be a holy exercise, untainted by vanity or pride. It must be in secret. Now, why would Bound say that? Well, he obviously read what Jesus had to say about prayer. Number one, how should you pray? Jesus taught that prayer is not offered so as to be seen and impress people. You don't pray to be seen. You don't pray to impress people with how spiritual you are. In Matthew 6, 5, And when thou prayest, Jesus taught, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. And it's not like, hey, you're doing a good job, high five. No. He's condemning the idea of people who pray to be seen or to impress other people. That's not why we pray. That's not, I should say, how we pray. Because once we know that we need to pray and that there are certain things that we ought to be praying for regularly, again, the question comes up, how should you pray? Number one, Jesus taught that prayer is not offered to us to be seen and impress people. How should we pray? Number two, Jesus taught that most prayers should be personal and private between you and God. And that doesn't mean you can't have a public prayer. Of course, I, I started the service in, in prayer. We're, we're not saying that. But for me to stand up here and pray or ask somebody to close in prayer and, and they go into their prayer vo- voice, dear God, you know, wait a minute. You know, that, that is suspect. Jesus taught that it should be, for the most part, I should say, personal and private. Matthew 6, 6, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. 
Well, not literally. You don't have to pray in your closet. But it's just the idea privately. Find you a secluded place. Just you and God. And when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Jesus taught that most, the vast majority of our prayers should be personal between you and him and should be in private. And then number three, how should we pray? Because again, if you get around it all, you'll, you'll see different people praying in different ways. And so we come to number three, Jesus taught that quality prayer is more important than quantity prayer. Quality prayer. Some people just, there, there, there are some people that just pray repetitiously. There are some denominations that promote that. They'll hand you some beads, and you're counting the beads, and you just pray, 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 like, like it's volume that's going to make the difference without consideration of the heart. No, Matthew 6, 7, Jesus is teaching here. When you pray, use not vain repetitions. Sometimes our, and this can be true of me, our, our prayer over meals can be, you just you know, say it every meal and say the same thing. That, that, could, that might be considered a vain repetition, as the heathen do. For they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Well, it's kind of obvious what Jesus is implying there. You know, he's more interested in sincerity in prayer, genuineness in prayer, heartfelt prayer. So we consider what you should pray for. He told us what we should pray for. So we know there are certain things we should pray for. We know that all prayers that we can make up and do the way we want to do is not okay. We look to God's word and say, God, okay, you want us to talk to you? How should we talk to you? He tells us. And then next, when should you pray? What are the circumstances that should really prompt you to pray? Again, if we can get a quick quote from Brother Bounds. He says, Jesus Christ was always a busy man with his work, but never too busy to pray. Well, again, this isn't all-encompassing. This, this isn't the only times when you should pray, but this is a, a, a starter on when you should pray. Number one, Jesus taught that when you have a need, when you have a need, you need to pray. Matthew 7, 7, he says, ask, that's prayer, Ask God, prayer, and it shall be given you. Seek, prayer, and ye shall find. Knock, prayer, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and he that knocketh, it shall be opened. So, when should we pray? Well, there's no limitation to that, but the Lord was kind of specific on some instances that it's always good to pray when you have a need, and not only a need, but number two, when you have a desire. In Mark 11, verse number 24, again, quoting Jesus, all these are quotes from Jesus himself. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them. And ye shall have them. Whatsoever things ye desire when you pray, believe that ye receive them. Maybe it's not a need, maybe it's just a desire. And we see from this, if the desire is in God's will, if it's not outside of God's command, outside of his word. Now look, if, if, if you've prayed to win the lottery, you're, you're praying outside of God's will. 
That's not going to happen. If you pray to win at a casino, you're wasting your breath. God's not going to bless that, not one little iota. But if your desire is, God, make me a better Christian, God, make me a better Sunday school teacher, a better choir member, a better person, we can have assurance that all of those things God's for. Those are desires that God is pleased with and prayers that he will answer. And then number three, and again, it's not limited to these three things. This is just a a sampling. When you face temptation, and you know, more and more, we're living in Sodom and Gomorrah, aren't we? Temptation is all around us. You can't walk through a mall. You can't, almost anywhere you go, there's visual temptations. There's all, all, all sorts of temptations. Luke twenty-one thirty-four. Jesus said, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. Talking about temptations there. For as a snare shall it come on all of them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore, in other words, be alert, don't be naive, and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And pray always. When it comes to having a need, Jesus would tell you if he was standing up here, if, you, if we were to say, Lord, I have this need, I have this need, I have this need, Jesus would pray. If you say, you know, I have a desire, I'd, I'd like to go to a Christian college, I'd like to, you know, be a better witness or whatever, Jesus would say, pray. Lord, there's so many temptations out there in the workplace or through social media and what have you. The Lord would say, pray. When you have a need, when you have a desire, when you face temptation. Let me close with a quote from Bounds and then a quote from Scripture, which supersedes Bounds. But Bounds makes a good point here. The relation of prayer to God's work and God's rule in this world is most fully illustrated by Jesus Christ in both his teaching and his practice. He taught much on prayer, and he definitely practiced prayer. And he said in Luke 18, 1, and he spoke a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray. If there's one thing that ought to dominate our lives as believers is prayer. That we ought always to pray. And listen, you can pray anytime. Anytime God puts somebody on your heart. My two boys, they're both pastors and pastoring today is not getting any easier. The challenges are greater. And I may be mowing the grass, and I'll be praying for Matt, for Jeremy. I, I, I may be driving into church or driving home, and they'll be on my mind. And it'll just be, Lord, watch over my boys. Bless them. Or, or, or you folks, or Brother Rick has come to mind numerous times over the last couple of weeks especially. You know, and I, I, could be, I could be watching TV. You know, praying always. It, it, you, by that I mean you, you don't have to 
always be in your closet on your knees. Now, it's good to have dedicated prayer like that, an emphasis on prayer like that. And it, it doesn't cheapen prayer one bit that you're driving down the road and your mind goes to God. I think God's pleased with that. You're mowing the grass, washing the car, and your mind goes to God. God is pleased with that. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Understand that Jesus taught us when we should pray, how we should pray, and what you should pray for. If there's one area I know the Lord fights me, and I would suppose he fights you, not the Lord, that the devil fights us and where our flesh is weak is in the area of praying. The Lord will intentionally allow us to get convicted about that. Conviction, when it turns you from doing wrong and encourages you to do right, conviction is a wonderful thing. And if you're feeling conviction this morning that your prayer life is not what it could be and ought to be, that's a good thing. Just respond to it properly. Ask God to forgive you and make a commitment that I am going to be a better prayer warrior for Christ than ever before. Let's stand, please, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.